Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. The ideal woman has always been generic. I bet you can picture the version of her that runs the show today. She's of indeterminate age, but resolutely youthful presentation. She's got glossy hair and the clean, shameless expression of a person who believes she was made to be looked at. She is often luxuriating when you see her, on remote beaches, under stars in the desert, across a carefully styled table, surrounded by beautiful possessions or photogenic friends. Showcasing herself at leisure is either the bulk of her work or an essential part of it. In this, she is not so unusual. For many people today, especially for women, packaging and broadcasting your image is a readily monetizable skill. She has a personal brand, and probably a boyfriend or husband. He is the physical realization of her constant, unseen audience, reaffirming her status as an interesting subject, a worthy object, a self-generating spectacle with a viewership attached. Can you see this woman yet? She looks like Instagram, which is to say, an ordinary woman reproducing the lessons of the marketplace, which is how an ordinary woman evolves into the ideal. The process requires maximal obedience on the part of the woman in question, and ideally her genuine enthusiasm too. This woman is sincerely interested in whatever the market demands of her. Good looks, the impression of indefinitely extended youth, advanced skills in self-presentation and self-surveillance. She is equally interested in whatever the market offers her, in the tools that will allow her to look more appealing, to be even more endlessly presentable, to wring as much value out of her particular position as she can. The ideal woman, in other words, is always optimizing. She takes advantage of technology, both in the way she broadcasts her image and in the meticulous improvement of that image itself. Her hair looks expensive. She spends lots of money taking care of her skin, a process that has taken on the holy aspect of spiritual ritual and the mundane regularity of setting an alarm. The work formerly carried out by makeup has been embedded directly into her face. Her cheekbones or lips have been plumped up or some lines have been filled in, and her eyelashes are lengthened every four weeks by a professional, wielding individual lashes and glue. The same is true of her body, which no longer requires the traditional enhancements of clothing or strategic underwear. It has been pre-shaped by exercise that ensures there is little to conceal or rearrange. Everything about this woman has been preemptively controlled to the point that she can afford the impression of spontaneity, and more important than sens the sensation of it. Having worked to rid her life of artificial obstacles, she often feels legitimately carefree. The ideal woman can be whatever she wants to be, as long as she manages to act upon the belief that perfecting herself and streamlining her relationship to the world can be a matter of both work and pleasure, or in other words, of lifestyle. The ideal woman steps into a stratum of expensive juices, boutique exercise classes, skincare routines, vacations, and there she happily remains. Ladies and gentlemen, that was from an article published in The Guardian last year by Gia Tolentino, 
namely the ideal woman. And the reader is the lovely Miss Laura Batstone, colleague and friend from Pacifica Christian High School, department chair for the English department. Laura, thank you so much, not only for opening our show there, um, but for being here to talk about this idea of the ideal, the optimized self, the the person who is always striving to be even better. Welcome. Thank you for being here, Laura. Thanks for having me on the pod. The pod. So, Laura, it's long overdue for you to be on the pod. We've been talking about having you on the pod last season, finally made it happen this season. And the subject that we are tackling, uh, as I said, is this idea of a life and time in which everyone is being relentlessly pushed to optimize themselves, uh, to brand themselves in this kind of way. Maybe you could uh, just start us out before we jump into sort of the nitty gritty of some of those ideas or topics. And just as a little bit of an introduction, tell us a little bit about your background, you're kind of coming up. Um, we we kind of basically ask those kinds of questions about how someone sort of came to know the Lord or, you know, kind of professional life and uh, educational stuff. What would be like the highlights of, of, of the bat? We call you the bat around the old schoolyard. What would be the highlights of, of the Batstone career? I think something that helps explain a lot about me is knowing that I was born and raised and have lived my whole life in like the same two mile radius. So born and raised in Orange County um, and very much involved in the Christian subculture Mm. from day one. So my dad is a and always has been a worship leader, um, was really heavily involved in the Jesus Revolution times in Orange County. And so um, I think that gives me kind of an interesting perspective on teaching at a Christian high school in Orange County because I have been through all the steps. So, um, yeah, Christian education all the way through actively involved in churches, um, in ministry, had a pretty ecumenical view of things early on, I think, uh, due to visiting different churches or traveling, um, and seeing my dad do ministry. And, um, once I, Got to Vanguard University hey. again. Very local. Very local. <laughs> Hyper localized. Um, I people kept telling me you'd be a great teacher, and so I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And one of my professors told me about this awesome program at UCI, Hey-o. where you could. It was a summer master's program for English teachers, and I thought, well, hey, why not? Um, and so I started attending there and that was sort of my introduction into that academic English mm-hmm, life in mm-hmm. a way I had never experienced before. Um, and then that led to teaching high school, uh, originally in San Juan and then now at Pacifica for, this will be my fifth year, which fifth is crazy. Year. Time flies. So from the start or, or you came in the first year? Uh, year two. Year two. Okay. Yeah. And so you you are the most Orange County person possible. Yeah, probably. And and born and raised in the church, like myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so all the ins and outs and the beauties and the uglies and all the things in between. Exactly. Um, so when you are thinking about sort of this this topic or this idea of the pressure to optimize, when you think about like 
I mean, let's just say as a, as a Christian woman or as just a person in Orange County of all places, mm-hmm. right? Orange County is an epicenter of what they call the gig economy, right? Gig economy being what? Temporary, flexible employment where people are basically like freelancing mm-hmm. a bunch of different things, cobbling together sort of a, a, a life out of a bunch of different kinds of work. Um, usually not covered with health insurance, usually not uh, no, not part of unions or anything like this, right? So not a long-term, I mean, very sort of transient, right? Very ephemeral kind of thing, but sort of exciting, kind of endorphin rush, you know, like, oh, you could do this, and now I can do this, and I also do this. Um, so we kind of we live at the epicenter of, of the gig economy. And then we also have sort of that epicenter kind of of the of the church sort of mega church kind of land. And so it's an interesting kind of nexus of those things. Growing up in this area, um, and maybe also growing up within the church, but growing up in this area, do you did you just constantly feel sort of the the pressure of that sort of optimized thing, or is it like uniquely now? Do you feel like this is like an accelerated thing that's happened? You've noticed more and more. I think for me, it's something I notice more and more now. I actually sort of, I I find myself very blessed, as they say, to have been raised in in kind of the more old school um, Christian style, or maybe I shouldn't say that, but I, I contrast it to our students now, which tend to be hyper-motivated, mm. st- like straight A, got to get all A's, got to get into Stanford, like hyper-focused. Since the time I was four, yeah. I got into the best preschool right? because right. I had to. Right. Yeah. And that was not my upbringing at all. Right. Um, and so I think when I was, I mean, I never studied for my SATs. Like I didn't even, it wasn't what? even on the, yeah. It you didn't hire a private tutor no. to optimize your SAT scores? I know. It was and, outrageous. And I think that comes from, having parents who were devoted Christians and in ministry and who were just sort of like, you know, do serve the Lord and whatever capacity that looks like. Um, and, you know, work hard and stuff, but by no means was there that high pressure of like success mm-hmm. and, you know, maximize your potential. And because I think that comes from a healthy theology of, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Lord will do as he wills and put in your effort and we'll see what comes next. And so I think now as I'm teaching, and this is, I've taught for seven years at private Christian high schools, I see this whole other thing mm. um, that I did not experience in my own life, especially, I mean, I went to, shout out to Calvary Chapel High School. But um, for whatever reason, I think due to the beliefs about eschatology or or just even a healthy belief about ministry and the purpose of life there just wasn't that huge push to succeed 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 um and so i i tell my students all the time like i i can't relate to this innate well external and then also now it's become internal voice within them that it's like i'm a failure if i do not x y or z Mm. Um, because I don't know, it was pretty chill in my Christian subculture right? versus I think there's this whole other subculture of Orange County that's much more aggressive in terms of success. So I kind of see myself as able to view it as from an outsider and, um, hopefully speak into that in the way I see it in my students. Well, like in the, in the Tolentino article, um, right. It's talking about, 
in particular, but it's talking about the ideal woman, right? Mm-hmm. The ideal woman is of its indeterminate age, resolutely youthful presentation, mm-hmm. glossy hair, clean, shameless expression, right? She's she's the, the Instagram influencer. Mm-hmm. She's the brand that always is is looking like and then becoming the ideal, right? There's like the in the in the sections that you read just in the beginning of the article, Tolentino seems to be pointing at how everybody has always wanted to present well, right? Everyone is always dressed up. Everyone has always mm-hmm. had, there's always been a certain kind of decorum for presentation or whatever. Um, but she seems to be indicating that something has changed mm-hmm. in what that means and that it's been sort of internalized as what you are is is now synonymous with the presentation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you sort of help us to understand a little bit better maybe what she is talking about when she's talking about this this ideal woman mm-hmm. and kind of how yeah. all of these things are contributing to this image? Right, right. So an example I was thinking of as I was driving here of how the ideal woman needs to be this internalized thing. I was thinking of like an example of Marie Antoinette, mm-hmm. who was the standard of beauty in her moment. Right. And the paintings or images that we have of her, it involves this woman who is heavily makeuped, has a wig, um, like it's almost almost clownish makeup Mm -hmm. looking at it now. She's wearing some sort of corset girdle, you know, where she just like everything is exaggerated and not realistic. But everybody everybody knew that's that's not what a person looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. It was sort of this makeup for the sake of makeup it and a costume. it was a costume yeah. right and that was the ideal woman in that era but now in this era we live in and i think this this is what tolentino gets at that has to be real or at least so real nobody knows right so i need to have sort of um like lovely tan skin that is uh flawless blemish free um, tan, but not too tan, like appropriately, I need to be appropriately muscular. Mm. Like, um, I need to, my body actually needs to look like the Marie Antoinette thing that like she had metal and like whalebone making her look that way. (laughs) But now the ideal woman has to actually be that way. So I have to spend thousands of dollars a year on workout regimens and, or like tummy tucks or whatever it is. Um, and so I think in, in that way, I see how Orange County is kind of a hub of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I And I actually had friends here from Indiana last week, and they asked, how many, what percentage of women you know do you get plastic surgery? <laughs> and I said, women I know, very, very small, but women in Orange County, probably higher than average. And so I think that's sort of what Tolentino is talking about, is we have adopted this, I have to actually look like this. And, right. and and this is probably out of your territory, David Woods. Hey-o. But there's like these makeup brands now are just sort of about like being having this constantly dewy, natural look. Glossier. Glossier, you Come do on. know. You I, know. I am in the world, but yeah. not of it. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so that kind of aesthetic of like it just sort of highlights what's naturally already perfect. Okay, great, right, because it's this narrative of like we are free from the oppressive 
girdle, right? Mm -hmm, the apparatus mm -hmm. of these insane expectations. But you're saying we've been, quote, freed into having to actually carve ourselves into that shape because we're now not supposed to wear a girdle because oppressive right. 19th century beauty standards. But now it's supposed to just literally be what we are because we're not supposed to try to hide. Right. We're supposed to naturally just inflect our, our obvious perfect beauty. Right. And I'm naturally supposed to fit into $100 Lululemon leggings. Lululemon. Yeah. Well, there's Orange County, right? Lululemon yeah. everywhere. <laughs> and, and, and so that idea, because so much of the branding of uh, feminine beauty products that I at least see um, is, you know, body positive. It doesn't matter what you look like, right? It's all about natural. We're working with what's natural. There is no ideal, right? The branding, the marketing has taken on the language of freedom from the oppressive ideal image mm -hmm. and yet as you're saying and what, what she's saying in the article you're now just meant to have sort of a body that is naturally um becoming naturally sort of effervescent mm -hmm. as you said makeup that isn't over the top marie antoinette like white paint with a red dot right on it but it's just sort of like a, a dewy glow of natural skin tones and mm -hmm. things like this and and so then in that kind of expectation um, where is the relief, right? Like where, because right. your Marie Antoinette uh, example is so, so perfect, it seems, because it's so obvious that there's a moment then when she is not in front of everyone mm -hmm. where she takes off the machine and can just be, and anyone else who was wearing their own version of that machine can just take off that machine and just be what they are right? Um, at home or behind closed doors or whatever it may be. Um, so this... The way that this is connected then with the maybe the monetization, right? Mm -hmm. um, the gig economy, the branding, the selling, right? Right. Um, how, how, how do you see those streams coming together with this sort of world of the, of the influencer or of the, the mom who's got you know, it all together, even if the name of her podcast is like The Messy Podcast or something yeah. like that, right? Like yeah. it's all, it's marketing to this, like, this baseline of people wanting to be able to just not have to be perfect. But the irony is that it's marketing that mm -hmm. to, in a way that keeps the pressure on to then be a certain sort of disheveled perfect? Like, oh, yeah. Is that a, th <laughs> a thing? 100%. And I don't know if you should read. Tolentino has another article, which I adore, called um, oh, something about Sassy Mom Merch. Mm, sassy Mom Merch. And it's that whole line of... Uh, coffee to cocktails. Coffee to cocktails. <laughs> like, I survive on wine and Amazon Prime. Or <laughs> I, I need Jesus a lot and cuss words a little. Yeah, like right. that <laughs> sort of... <laughs> Um, you know, don't try me, mom 24 7. Right. <laughs> that kind of aesthetic, I think, speaks to what you're saying of even though it projects one, it projects an image of imperfection, it still tries to do that perfectly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's get real. Like, let's mm -hmm. have an honest Instagram moment, people. But that still is an attempt to monetize or sell the type of motherhood or womanhood that they are engaged in. So whether or whether it is some perfect um, product placement of like a bikini on Instagram or you're trying to sell your sassy mom merch, like either way, you're still attempting to fit this narrative of what uh, womanhood looks like 
And you're, the hope seems to be for a lot of women that, you know, maybe I'll get noticed and maybe I'll start making money just by being me. Right. Like just by being a person, um, I will be validated, you know, with with money or fame or other things, um, the status that I want. And that will sort of confirm any insecurities I have about being a mom who's kind of messy mm. or, you know, being being a woman who maybe, I don't know, isn't quite sure what she's doing with her life. But at least I have people who are tuning in and who want to be involved in my story. Right. Um, and so I, th- I think it's a pretty strange way that I think there's different kinds of of sort of clusters of women and and trying to exist in between sort of those designated lines can be a strange place to be if you don't see yourself reflected in an Instagram account are you like you know am I am I valid if if I can't find my sort of online crew Mm. yeah I mean Tolentino and she says at one point the ideal woman showcasing herself at leisure mm-hmm. is either the bulk of her work or an essential part of it. In this, she's not unusual for many people today, especially for women. Packaging and broadcasting your image is a readily monetizable skill. And so, again, it is the idea that by by finding and having uh, affirmed for you a monetized value or a number of views value which is the same thing right these are Mm -hmm. these are monetized private company platforms that we are using right Right. for views and for clicks and for whatever um by doing that i there is a there's a desire to um to be able to rest in the messy person i may be or the imperfect person who sometimes cusses that i may be Mm But then it becomes it becomes its own brand. It becomes a relentless new image where mm-hmm. you are trying to be free of that old right. ideal, and and yet now you have fallen into the trap of the new messy ideal, the the unideal ideal, right? Right. Um, and that the I mean the economy is so quick to adapt to these kinds of things, right? So immediately the biggest brands are going to be body positive because that is the trend that starts to ripple through things, right? Mm-hmm. So if we want to keep selling, we want to make sure we're out. And now we sound like we are socially aware and we are promoting these things. And so it's almost like there's no escape from the always on economy of of me of 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 selling me of of promoting me. And would you say like that is something that is, I mean, is there anyone who is free of that as far as age range when it comes to sort of uh, female lifestyle stuff? You, you talked about your students feeling the pressure of that at the at the school level, right? Are all of our students feeling the pressure of being the best, of optimizing everything? Many of our students are already entrepreneurs. Unfortunately, many of them are already day traders, from what I can tell. <laughs> so yes. my freshmen are yes. are buying and selling mass products, um, <laughs> which is just just mind blowingly wild to me. Um, but like that it, that that world, that virtual space that has become our ordinary space, right? It's like you you don't really exist, do you? If people aren't seeing you, right? Um, and yet you don't want to be fake and you don't want to be mm-hmm. generic. You don't want to try too hard. Right. But you, you kind of need to be seen. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like there is underneath all that, there is just this desire to sort of exist in a broader space than just like my own home, like for the right. mom. Right. Like I've got these little kids. I can barely talk, you know, like talk to an mm-hmm. adult during the day. 
um, this is like an escape into a world of adults where I can be seen by other people outside of my small, tiny little home sphere or whatever. Um, do you do you think that there is a overlap then with because it's one thing to say this is a cultural thing this is an orange county hyper materialist hyper etc etc thing um but what about the christian side of this right the christian side where is the overlap do you see between this relentless sort of branding of the self or optimizing of the self um that is always meant to look leisurely but allows no leisure yeah um and and the Christian in Orange County or the Christian self, right? Are these things uh, distinct? <laughs> are they separate realities? I yeah, I don't I don't think they're distinct. I mean, uh, at the barest surface level, there's also that Christian woman Instagram version of all this, right? right? Um, which sells? Which sells? Which really sells? Um, and it just sort of, it, but in the Christian circles, that would look more like sort of an impeccable bookshelf, right? Like love mm. of coffee, beautiful sunsets right. type. Devotional es- verse. Exactly. Laid out, right? Exactly. So that's like the really surface, easy to attack level. Sure. And um, I don't discount anyone who wants to throw a Bible verse in their, their Instagram stories. That's totally fine. <laughs> but again, it's having to remember that... Um, that is that is a monetized platform owned by a major corporation. It is it is not the same thing as as ministering or serving your neighbor sight unseen. So obviously that gets complicated, you know, Sermon on the Mount, do not let what you, your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's very difficult. I'm not going to say impossible, but it's very messy territory to be sort of a a Christian witness on social media. Because the feedback you get inherently is rewarding in the moment. Like, you can't really avoid that. So I know people who do it really well. Um, and But I also, would un- if I was in that camp, I think I would have a really hard time staying away from the reward side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of how do Christianity, Christians, how do Christians, especially Christian women try to continually optimize their life. Some of the things that I came up with, um, and I would love to see hear how you've seen this in sort of your Christian circles as well, but I think it is sort of this constant reading of theology books, constant listening of sermons, probably constant engagement with Christian social media, like Christian Twitter or something. This um, is the Christian version of self-optimization yeah of, of, yeah always yeah. on always right. always improving always yeah. yeah and um and kind of that how do i want to say this it becomes this constant loop of dissatisfaction with things that are slow and take time which is what the christian life is Mm. it's a very slow thing Mm. um and so i see the the christian version of this looking like a hyper focus on the verse that says redeem the time right you got to redeem the time every moment matters um and rather than sort of seeing some of those verses about the easy yoke uh, the Sabbath rest mm. and the fulfillment of those things. So on, 
on the surface level, it can be a lot of activities. It could be hyper-focused in ministry, your reading list, etc. On a deeper level, I think it just is a constant anxiety of, why haven't I solved this problem yet? Right. Why haven't I dealt with this sin issue yet? Right. Why am I not over this yet? Um, and so that sort of tends to show itself in those tangible ways. Um, and yeah, I think it leads people to be really frustrated and continually disappointed that like they haven't figured it out yet. So there is an inherent and, um, and necessary anxiety to, let's just say, uh, being a woman in the time of the, the ideal woman and the, the, the gig economy woman. Um, it's always low grade anxiety because no one actually naturally, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, or, or our messiness is not always naturally presentable or consistent right. or cool. Um, can be embarrassing. Can mm-hmm. be, you know, could be sin, right? Like, could be things that yeah. that wouldn't necessarily yeah. sell or wouldn't work, you know, as a as a confession necessarily. But we're also confessional, so maybe there's a way to to brand that as well. But that that these that the influx of optimization elements, whether it's the hyper focus on exercise, on on food, on different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't give people rest. It, it right. creates anxiety, mm-hmm. right? And and maybe especially because it it's just supposed to be you, mm-hmm. and and you're supposed to just naturally feel like positive about yourself all the time, right. um, and that's what everyone's telling you to feel, and yet you're not feeling that way. So that's a- anxiety inducing. But then you're saying there's also like this anxiety that comes in the Christian place um, of feeling like um, you're not what you're not getting out of that right like like it's so interesting to think like okay as you said the way you were sort of raised in the church you know you sort of around people who like didn't buy into that right like right like who cares Mm -hmm. and and so it seems like well then it would be so easy or it would be at least very possible for uh, a christian woman or or whoever to to opt out and to Mm -hmm. be like okay no big deal just refuse it right like step away right um and yet there's an anxiety <laughs> right. there too that like right. that you're opting out of too much is there i mean like yeah. where do you go right like right. if you you could retreat to the christian things and then be anxious as you said about trying to solve for x and still not feeling the right. peace of christ even yeah. though you're reading or listening to a lot of things um how do you get from these places of anxiety where everyone's telling you not to be anxious and you're like, well, well, then what's wrong with me? Like, mm-hmm. why am I still anxious? Do I not have mm-hmm. enough faith? Do I, right? Do I not look like whatever? Uh, yeah. How do you deal? Like, how does how does one confront that? Right. I think. Um, so, a book that's been really formative for me this year is called "How to Do Nothing" by uh, Resisting the Attention Economy. That's a great title. Yeah. How to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and that's by Jenny Odell, and it's a book that's very focused on noticing your attention and where does it go what do you spend your time focusing on and this is nothing new or radical but i think for the christian especially the christian woman if you're devoting hours of your day to a thing that tells you to optimize it's understandable that your internal compass would say you need to optimize right and so I think it comes with watching where is your attention 
what are you sort of focused on? What are you spending time dwelling on? Really practically, right? The social media thing is is an easy cop out. But even, I mean, the number of books by quote unquote, or I should say the number of quote unquote Christian books by women that are all about like self-actualization is alarming. Um, and so a lot of voices who like sort of label themselves as like women empowerment slash Christian light really attach attach themselves to a female's attention but then uh, promote more of that message of it's kind of it's more of a self-help book than a book about gospel so i've been thinking about the way this plays out in in the mary martha Hmm. paradigm of um let's see i have the verse written down luke 10 right um luke 10 when jesus enters the home of of Martha and as we probably have heard the story before but to recap Martha is is hustling cooking cleaning serving um it says Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to Jesus and said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me but the Lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And I know it's sort of a cliche thing to point to the Mary Martha for Christian women's Let's story. Go. But I think in the 21st century, there's something really to be reminded of that. In, in especially in that, that final verse, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Hmm. Your, your social media presence is going to be taken away from you, Right. And purely on a mortality perspective, right, everything's going to be taken away from you. Your looks are going to be taken. Your your mental capacity is going to be taken. Your energy, right? So if you have formulated your life around sort of this presentation of yourself as a certain person, that'll be taken away from you. Maybe it'll be through a pandemic where suddenly you can't mm-hmm. do the work that you made was so identity building. Or... Um, Maybe it's just through other life circumstances. But I've been thinking about the way that that speaks to this ideal optimized woman because in her day, Martha Martha was the sort of idealized, that's what a woman should have been doing. A woman should have been hustling around the house, cooking, cooking, cleaning, serving, taking care of these visitors, especially this prominent rabbi that's mm-hmm. in her home. But that Mary has just chosen to focus her attention on one thing. And just sit there and, to the outside world, look really lazy. And look like she's abandoning what, quote-unquote, a woman should do. Mm. Um, and so I've, I have been trying to process in my own life, okay, how do I be Mary and not feel guilty about it? Because being Mary involves a decent amount of inaction and, quote-unquote, doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And... But I think that that does lead to a reduction in anxiety because I'm not looking to a thousand different things that need to validate my identity. I'm just, you just sit at the feet of Jesus in that contemplative life of prayer. And through that, like your identity can be reshaped and refocused rather than 
built on your daily actions or your your acts of service, which are a good thing, but when they become identity defining, mm. it's pretty crippling. And in the end, what's the point? That'll all be taken away from you. Yeah, and and it's interesting the way you said that about Mary uh, being reshaped or reformed as to who she is, because so much of the ideal idealized literature. Um, which is meant to be liberating, and as you said, is all about self-actualization, right? Um, quoting from a very recent, very uh, big-selling uh, one of these kinds of books. Um, I bet I know which one it is. <laughs> uh, that question you are asking, that dream, that need, that buried anger, that delicious desire, it can all live in the open, and its unveiling be your liberation song. Come get your life. Mm-hmm. Subtitle of the book is The Guide to Being Glorious You. Oh, wow. Right? And, and that this is a how to discover the, the wonderful you that's there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and let that be, right? So it's, it's, that, it's a relentlessly self-focused thing. Um, chapter titles, uh, Who I Am, What I Need, What I Want, What I Believe, How I Connect, mm-hmm. um, you know, any number of things, right? Yeah. Determine your Enneagram number. Yeah. It's all about embracing what you are showing up, right? Mm-hmm. It's that same idea on the surface, like of body positivity, right? Like mm-hmm. love yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and yet it is, it is doing something else. It's doing something else with the language of liberation, of self-actualization, of self-discovery, in that at least it's not doing the same thing as you said, Mary is being reshaped Mm -hmm. by sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. She's not just sitting at the feet of Mary, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. She's, she is listening to the Lord and, and it it can be really easy. And I know in the, in the, especially the Christian subculture can be really easy, particularly for guys to critique women's self-actualization literature about like self-discovery and, and self-love and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Super easy and, and often very cheap. Um, because what it usually doesn't seem to acknowledge is, uh, something is off that 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 is maybe the result of a christian subculture to begin with where women have not found or felt or been accorded a place yeah um uh, at the table with the mm-hmm. lord a place in ministry a place in you know or maybe they you know a, a sort of male dominated church has pushed you know women to feel less because of whatever is actually in their heart or whatever you know they might struggle with or whatever it may be um so usually the critiques of this which again it's really easy to say okay this is self-obsessed self-helpism with a little jesus sticker on top right um but there's a real anxiety need yeah. There's a reason that these are selling millions of copies and that it's yeah. like the same book that keeps getting written mm-hmm. and continues to sell millions of copies. Yeah. There's something underneath that, which is a person and which is people showing up to this conversation with a lot of self-hate, yeah. condemnation, right? Almost mm-hmm. the, the, the result of not being the ideal whatever they thought they were supposed to be to start right yeah like this is a neutral starting place and then oh why are you so self-obsessed it's like something is is condemning people in their hearts something is 
heavy something is feeling like they don't belong or Mm -hmm. they're not enough right right that's why that chapter could continue to be written you're enough you're enough you're enough right somehow there's another dialogue going on in the soul there i'm not right Mm -hmm. so is is that feeling of not being enough is, is that the ironic product of the culture of optimization of of the culture of the ideal woman that we sort of started with with the Tolentino thing of you know just take one more bar class or Pilates <laughs> or whatever it is yeah um, eat a little bit more you know kale um, right. you know do whatever and that it just kind of produces this I'm I'm not able to do this I'm not right I, I can't do this right yeah I think it's an interesting I think as you mentioned there's there's a long line of generational things that are being worked through here Mm -hmm. so as you mentioned um years and years centuries of women not really having a a place in the church that they can really pinpoint like okay what what am i supposed to do because i know what i can't do um but like what do (laughs) what do i do what do i do and and you know, a lot of that involves sort of serving in, in unseen ways, right. which is a holy thing to serve in unseen ways is like there's beauty in that. Jesus did similar. But then I think it's hard to to be in that position for a long time and to sort of wonder like and to make that your identity of like, well, if I continue, if I'm just serving, if I'm just totally selfless, like I'll love myself. Right. Because that's what I've been told I need to do is just like be completely selfless in service and like tire myself out for my family or my church or whatever ministry or nonprofit is the case. And then I will be satisfied because um, I will just be totally spent on this holy righteous thing. And of course those are all good things to, to work tirelessly for, but at the end of the day, the work itself is not satisfying. Um, And so that that continual service and that continual focus on on giving of yourself um, oftentimes actually comes from a very selfish place, right? It sort of comes from that that overfunctioning, like I can handle it all, I can deal with it all, and so I I think there is a long line of. For a long time, women were told were had to sort of carve out their space, and now twenty first century womanhood and 21st century Christian womanhood mm. comes in and says, well, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Like all barriers are gone. Everything is like the world is your oyster. Go for it. And that's fairly paralyzing. Whether you're talking about beauty standards or the Christian life to be told like you can run a marathon. <laughs> and you're like, I could, huh. I don't know why I would want to. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why anybody would ever run a marathon. But and I don't know why anybody ever needs to like there's no there's no real need to do that. But like I could push myself and train to run a marathon or, you know, I could I could write a, a book for like Christian women like I could do that. All barriers are broken. So I should I should take every opportunity mm-hmm. because 100 years ago women didn't have those opportunities. Right. So you should like take the things that were given to you and and bring them all towards you. And you are the commander of your own ship now. Right. Like. The patriarchy isn't controlling you like it used to. And so now you can do whatever you want, which sounds awesome. But then you realize it's totally crippling because, you know, it's like a kid who has a choice of like 10 different toys. They're just going to like 
They don't know how to process that. You kind of just have to give them one thing at a time. And so um, I think as, as a woman who's told, like, do it all, um, like, well, maybe I actually don't want to do it all. Maybe I actually just want to sit at Jesus's feet and, and listen. Maybe I just want to sit here and read a book and not go for a run or not um, whatever the thing is. And that is sort of, people tend to look at that and with, with an element of disgust in a lot of ways because you have so many options, right? So it's, it's almost a paralysis of options, I think. It is, I have a feeling of indebtedness to the women who came before me. Like, oh, you need to make your voice heard. You need to, because people before you didn't have that luxury, mm. that privilege. Um, and so, but that's, that is so crippling for men or women, right? Mm. To be told, like, you've got to make something of yourself now that you have the chance. It just tends to lead to despising yourself for not being able to do all the things. Mm. Um in, in preparing for this conversation and thinking through these things, I was actually, here's a male example. I was reminded of this comedy show by Dimitri Martin from like 20 years ago. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, of course. Okay. So yeah, this alternative, very deadpan comic. And in 2003, he did this comedy set called If I, that like won him all these awards at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And in it, he talks about how he had created this plan where he could give himself a point system. <laughs> and like and he would analyze it at the end of every week so he had all of these worksheets and like if he ate vegetables three times a day he got a point if he did a selfless act for somebody that day he got a point if he drank eight glasses of water if he spent 30 minutes meditating if he you know and all these things mm. and he said it was out of 35 points and on his best week he only got like 25 and he's like i made the list <laughs> <laughs> right like this is my list i created it and he kept revising the list he said he went through like 10 revisions of the list and still he's like one week i got five points like what is wrong with me it's my list <laughs> and you know and so but i think that to me is a perfect example of how men and women both yeah whether it's tangibly i don't think any of us have a lot of tangible lists though that's actually very popular these days too is like Gosh. bullet journaling out your yeah. whole life um but we all do that of like, we have this internal list of like, I should have been more selfless this week. I should mm. have done more devotional time mm. this week. I should have uh, eaten more kale. I should have <laughs> exercised more. I should have spent more time with my kids. I should have spent more time with my husband. I should have. And all of those things are awesome things. But the point of your life is not to have a perfect week. And the point of your life is not like this moral progress or physical progress. To, to quote um, Father Stephen Freeman, see, I wrote it down. We're saved by our willingness to tell the truth about ourselves and allowing God to do what we ourselves obviously cannot do. Mm. And so when we have this picture in our heads, and we can even do that, I think we could even do that with Mary here. We could idealize that and say, well, that's all I should do. Right. But when we have this standard and expectation we're unable to tell the truth about ourselves, which is that we are flawed and we are loved and we have been sacrificed for and we have been redeemed and the work is taken care of. Like those are the things that are truest about us. Um, and 
the Christian life is is one of slow growth, and it can't just be mapped out on an Excel sheet. Hmm. The way that, or it can't just be uh, sold on a social media platform. It just it doesn't operate that way. Right, and uh, you had mentioned, or we had talked about, you know, early on, sort of the monetization of leisure and the mm. you know in the rise of athleisure wear right so yeah. that, so that leisure yeah. or work is always the same thing right there's always this yeah you're never resting even no, in yeah. leisure you're performing and you're not good enough ing right um, and your work is your pleasure like right. i love my job my, my work is my passion right Right, so it can't just be work. No. It, has to, it has to like do everything for you. Mm-hmm. It has to make you who you are. It has to give you a deep sense of purpose, meaning, all the things that probably only Lord can do. But you know, when you make your passion your your job and you love what you do, which everyone's told to do, never just work a job, Laura. Never, never. just work a job. Suckers work jobs. Mm-hmm. The multi-level marketing insanity in Orange County, <laughs> which is just a pyramid scheme. Depending on what they're selling, usually they're not even selling anything. They're selling mm-hmm. mentorship. Let's do um, an episode on that. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, every coffee shop in the old world that I used to walk into, you know, two or three different tables uh, of the MLMs going after it. And it was always, jobs are for suckers. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to love? Like, Don't you want to just do the things you love and get paid somehow? Never for work it? Like, a day in your life. Stop working. You're a chump, right? Um, but that idea of there are no boundaries between work and play right it, that was packaged and sold as a way of uh maybe of of work getting more out of you by saying it doesn't matter how long you work as long as you get your projects done so you could work till two in the morning at home in mm-hmm. your bedroom how exciting um you know as long as you get it done right uh and so that blurring of all boundaries then now the the christian has something different to offer right because we have we have boundaries given to us by the lord we don't have this limitless freedom that absolutely paralyzes, right? We've been called to a few things. Among them is a weekly rhythm of rest, right? right? And you had mentioned this early on, um, the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about maybe your own experience or thoughts about how does a Christian, because, I mean, everybody in the culture, by and large, gets at least Sunday off from, quote-unquote, work if yeah. they have a traditional uh, job. Mm-hmm. And Christians, uh, you know, typically take Sunday as a day to go to church or to watch church or to do whatever. Um, and so maybe people are like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, I got the Sunday rest thing, like whatever. Yeah. Can you tell us about how Sabbath sort of is the interruption or the, the thing the Lord has given us that, that can actually help uh, get us out of this, this blurred, there is no work that isn't played, that isn't work, that isn't... Right. Yeah. And even before talking about Sabbath specifically, yeah. I want to like the nightly sleep, I mm. think. Sleep. And I don't know if you as a pastor probably experience this, but as a teacher, mm. I have noticed that there tends to be a fundamental issue when I have a student who says, well, I don't have time to sleep. Right. Like there's not enough. I, my right. work is too important to sleep. And it just makes you wonder like, what economy are you working on, right, right? right? That shutting off for six to eight hours, high school is just supposed to be like 10, right? Right. That shutting off for 10 hours to you is like deeply contradictory to your identity. Um, because I, if I'm not working, what am I doing? If I'm not optimizing, what am I doing? So for me, I think part of seeing the beauty of Sabbath and, and Sundays itself 
has translated to valuing times of rest and sleep. And obviously, speaking as a childless woman, I have some luxury in this area. But I think it's it's a it's a daily practice of like surrendering. Okay, I have to. My body requires <laughs> yeah. this yeah. time. I was made this way. I was made this way. Yeah. I can't control it. <laughs> um, and and so I think that's a that's a daily rhythm of surrender and acknowledging, yeah, that the world is not all in my control. Um, and then that translates to Sundays and Sabbath, which as a teacher, I was never very good about keeping a Sabbath day because we always had to go back to work the next day. And so there's a lot of work to do on Sundays. Right. But in the past year or two, I have sort of hyper, I guess now three years as I'm looking at this, the notes of this, um, the past three years, I've focused more on, okay, how can I actually make Sabbath and Sundays different and actually a time to tune in and and rest, you know, to be led beside beside still waters. Like what mm. does that actually look like? Um and how do we, as Hebrews talks about, you know, strive to enter into that rest. Like what mm. does that mean? Uh that's a great yeah, ironic sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um I think that there's there's usually there's an idea that resting is easy and it's not, right? Um, Judith Shulovitz says people mistakenly believe that all you have to do is stop working. Mm. And it's like, nope, that's not it. It mm -hmm. actually involves this mindset of uh, creating this uh, one of the hot phrases is third space, right? Mm. Creating this space for you that's not separated from everything in the world, but is allows you to observe and be present in the place God has put you, around the people God has put you around, but where you aren't thinking of yourself in those economic terms, where time for one day a week, time isn't money. Um, and for one day a week, Maybe you like don't give yourself over to a corporation for whatever, <laughs> whether it's by choice through social media or or for work. But that's been really powerful for me to release sort of the controls of my own life a bit and stop acting like my identity is is this thing that I can control or direct. Because when the noise goes away, you have to come face to face to who you are. Mm. Right. And that sort of, again, the authentic, quote-unquote, authentic self that so many of us try to optimize for others, there's actually the real authentic self inside of us that we need to process through and work through with the Lord, and we can't do that unless we just slow down and stop and sit for long periods of time. Um because if you if you leave it too long, then your inner world gets scarier and scarier. And so you just stop slowing down because you don't want to deal with it. Right. And so for me, Sabbath has been instrumental in combating that sort of narrative that, you know, the ideal Christian woman is one who's always hustling. And then also the secular narrative of just like no, like there's too much work to be done. You need eight days a week to do it. Mm. It's like, no, you, you don't fall behind. Right. Like yeah. it's always 
there's always a competition. There's always a right. race. It's always a um, identity by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in your sort of Sabbath, like as you say, that, that passage in Hebrew is so perfect, striving. You have to be yeah. so intentional mm-hmm. about like interrupting yourself, not distracting yourself, right? Mm-hmm. As you're saying, to sit long enough. Do you write? Do you Do you just like go for a walk like is there yeah how do you actually because i know yeah if i am taking a break i'll usually end up on my phone pretty quick yep um i'll think that it's not i'm not playing a game but it'll be just like endlessly twitter scrolling yeah articles right yeah it'll be articles right exactly i'll think i'll think that i'll justify and be like well Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm looking at the news first was a serious thing laura to look at the news you know and then it's like yeah articles i'm like like glancing through articles Mm -hmm. it's not rest at all um And yet it's like my downtime. I'm just unwinding or whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't bring me into any kind of deep reflective place of the Lord. Right. It it kind of keeps me, as you're saying, from even um, finding out where I'm at with mm-hmm. the Lord, like just say that day. Um, even what you said just about the the nightly rhythm of intentional sleep. Right. Instead of just working until you collapse, waking up into the into the new work schedule. Um, but to actually stop before you fall asleep to sort of like prepare to go to sleep, to like have a moment um, of just like a prayer, you know, right at night before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. So you're not sprinting into, <laughs> sprinting <laughs> into the into, sleep yep. mode or whatever. Yep. Um, so there is this like real, you have to be so intentional. Nothing around you is going to encourage this, nope. including your devices, including whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all our habits have been malformed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like what do you do and it's not just like okay here are the 10 things but just what has been helpful for you right. to get away from those alternate ways of having downtime that is still not right. rest yeah i think something especially in this season of 2020 or um the past you know year of strangeness something that's been very grounding for me is actually cooking Hmm. and because you can't you can't multitask when you're cooking (laughs) like all you can do is do the task right so and you can't hurry up no (laughs) certain things and so you're like you're you're chopping you're baking you're broiling you're whatever and you have to really be like mind and body in that moment Hmm. and it's it's a very like not divided self moment um because if you get distracted you know you like have to come back to it pretty quickly so I think for me that's been wonderful especially um cooking I have one dear friend coworker Sarah we cook together all the time Mm. and that is such a slow communal thing and it's in one sense it's productive because there's a meal at the end but really I could optimize this I could get you know I could get takeout or I could get a blue apron or I could like anything that'd be just but instead, it's this pro- slow process of learning um, and and figuring out something that just, yeah, takes your whole mind and body's attention. And then there's a, a real satisfaction at the end of that of like, wow, this was recharging in a mm. way. Um, and then also, I think, I mean, some practical things like I love to go to a farmer's market. That is not an optimal, optimized situation. It's mm. slow and you can't necessarily get everything you want, Right. But it's, it's a practice of, let's just see, you know, what, and this is a whole nother conversation, but like, what is nature giving us this month? Mm-hmm. Rather than 
cobbling together whatever I want all well, the time. That is a Sabbath idea, though, right? Yeah. The land needs a Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? You have to be connected to the yeah. space and the place where you are. Yep. Um, rather than, uh, yeah, ordering over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, I mean, honestly, a Sabbath tradition I tried to hold to um, in times where this was much easier I would go to lunch with people after church rather than being like, I got to go. I've got my to-do list. Mm. And it, it sounds silly, but it honestly, it in a lot of seasons, that's really sacrificial to like ignore the to-do list and just go spend another 90 minutes eating slowly with people. Yeah. Um, and there's something we can both talk about is reading novels. Hey, let's go. Which is the opposite of a productive, oh, optimized yes. life. Yes. And even um, in talking, I mean, I get this all the time, especially with Christians. You know, like, why would I read a novel when I could read the newest, you know, theologian Keller? Or I've I've never read Bonhoeffer. I've never read Merton. And I've got to, like, I've got to do that before I can allow myself to read some, like, goofy fantasy. Yeah. Um, And so, I don't know, for me, (laughs) reading novels is a real protest and like it's a it's resistance in that like i can't tell you and you'd be better at sourcing this argument but like i can't tell you what the purpose of this activity is Mm. except for the fact that it brings me joy and recharges me and sort of takes me out of the system we're all in right now um so that's something that i'm always trying to get christians to do more of is like just read a just read a book yeah. like a fun one right one that makes well, you laugh and i love you you know the the novel the fiction side mm-hmm. because otherwise you do end up toward a book that's going to do something for you right it's like that's right. what it says on the title right um and especially with pastors pastors are like yeah do not read fiction well, well i have so, so many other things that i should be reading you know theologically or you know i just i like real things like history you know like yeah <laughs> i'll get that a lot and and it, it just drives me up the wall because it's mm-hmm. like being a pastor like or being just a human um who's dealing with the care of other souls you you don't that's not like people work like novels work they don't work like the self-actualization right. book no. works and they don't work like the theological book works no. unless it's a unusual theological <laughs> book right um but actually attending to what it means to be a person in the world in a slow and attentive way, like novels are this like deep attention to not you and a curiosity about people and all their strangeness and all their whatever. And, and to me that is like, should be fundamental for a pastor's life and rhythm because that's imitative of actual human life and experience. And yet it is so not optimal Mm-mm. that it is usually derided. Or in the interviews that I will see with pastors, um, they'll all sort of vaguely say, well, I like the Lord of the Rings or something. You, know? yeah. you don't know if Pilgrim's they progress. read that. Or, yeah, it's always like the same two or three things that maybe they were given when they were in their mm-hmm. 20s or something. But um, but you can just tell it's not a, nothing is being read now. Um, because it's slow, they mm-hmm. don't know what the point is, mm-hmm. and so much of church life, as we mentioned before, has been all about optimizing experience, mm-hmm. right? Optimizing ministry, optimizing programs, optimizing, right? More and more fine tune this, dial this experience in for these Christians. What is the takeaway, right? What are the outcomes? I mean, it really, mm-hmm. 
it really all follows that track. And in a time now where we are, we know this hurts. We know <laughs> this is exhausting. Yeah. We know it makes pastors, it makes men, it makes women, it makes everyone feel like we're not something enough. It's just, this is not, mm-hmm. it is not blessing people. Mm-hmm. It is not helping people. Um, it is a good time to protest and do something different. It is a good time to, to just say, you know what, maybe what you haven't been doing, uh, maybe cooking, uh, slowing down. I can think of like my wife will bring like my daughter loves to be in the kitchen with her. And my daughter's like almost three. Super helpful um, part of the ki- <laughs> cooking experience. Super slow and maddening part of the cooking experience. And then becomes this like, this is the point, right? right. The point is spending time. My son's the same way. Like they would both gladly all day uh, be with mom, like working with food and mm-hmm. like helping and, and yeah. doing whatever they can. And, and, and we've had this conversation so many times everything's going to be slower. It may not even come out. It may be a total disaster because they were there uh, as a part of it. And that's not the point, right? The point is being there with them. And I can just see that when she does uh, artwork with them, when she does that kind of like, I can see when we spend that kind of time with them or like, I'll do like nonsense, like odd jobs around the house that I would otherwise put off or think, or for me literally would be like, ah, who can I hire to do that? Because I got to do all these other things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, my son and my daughter will follow me around the yard as I, you know, mm-hmm. spray the spiders or whatever. And to them, it's like this wonderful, they're looking at the home they live in. They're paying attention to the detail. They're looking for where would spiders at? Oh, I remember I saw this spider over there. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes this like world of, yeah. of time together that would never have made the list for me. No. It would always be the last thing and falling off. Always be the last thing and falling off. But it's like, yeah, it's like being present in these mundane places and times and ways um with with people or even if it was you know as a parent you know even if it was just myself like to have time with the lord yeah is incredibly precious you know to have some quiet outside would be precious but again it would just never make a list certainly wouldn't i don't think make a book you know (laughs) right right well and that's i mean that's something too it may be a whole nother topic but of the productive optimized life has a lot of casualties and i think kids are one of them Mm. because kids don't make sense on a productivity (laughs) scale (laughs) why would i ever have kids right right uh, right. if my goal is to like maximize and so um i think yeah kids don't make sense i think the differently abled the chronically ill like all of those people they don't make sense if if your goal is to like Again, if your goal in life is to be that like marathon, I'm going to I'm going to have marathon career, marathon running, marathon, you know, it's just because they kids are going to require time and attention and it's going to take an extra 30 minutes to make breakfast. But like in what is what better picture is there of the Christian life than like us? slowing down to meet these kids on their level Mm. as Christ came down and condescended to be with us and like walk with us. And when we continually didn't get it and he would like stop and correct and reorient and give another example to help us see. And so I just think that if we are sort of to whatever you do unto the least of these, then we have to let go to that give assigning economic value to everything we do. Mm. Otherwise we're going to leave people behind. 
Um, and it's the people that Jesus spent most of his time with. Mm. Laura Badstone, thank you so much for, for being here, for My talking pleasure. about these things. As you, There's so many places we could go um, to sort of elaborate on this, but I just know from the people we were talking with uh, even just the other day, this is a topic that people are like, there's something has to change. This mm-hmm. is so important. Everyone feels this. Something has to change. Mm-hmm. So I, I just thank you for uh, not only the theoretical side, but just the practical side of, of this conversation. And I look forward to having you back to talk about many more things in the future. Happily. Thank you so much for driving down to the little little church in San Juan. Thank you so much. This was This was great to process out loud all the things I've been reading. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on Newsletter, and sign up there. Until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon 